With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Mark Animal Mac Young talking to you about Heroes 101 Radio. Give him a listen. As ever, your host from New York, Spectre, from the New York Hero Initiative. And joining me back again, as ever, every single week, it's the hostess with the mostess. It's rock and roll from the San Francisco Hero Initiative. Howdy, howdy, howdy. How are you doing, my dear? Doing really well. Pretty excited. Do yeah, I say that every that. week? <laughs> yeah. But then we are excited every week. We are, I, you know. Seriously, we get we get these guests on, and and this isn't disingenuous. We get excited. So, uh, uh, oh, with us as ever also is manning the board is Nightbug, the awesome. Woo! It has to end here. Thanks, Nightbug. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it, it feels to me like we haven't been doing this for a while. I guess it hasn't been that long since our last show, but holy crap, has it been an eventful few weeks, right? Oh, my God, it has. It feels like every time we turn around, there's some other big event coming up. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I guess one thing I was going to do and that we do at the beginning of every show is uh, is introduce ourselves and talk about who we are. And, you know, there was an event which I, I think says who we are better than anything any other time of the year. But uh, before we get to that, um, so we are the Hero Initiative Group. And, and Rock, I'll, I'll hand it over to you to... Uh, definitely talk about who the Hero Initiative group are, if you don't mind. I I don't. Wouldn't that be funny if I said, I do mind. Definitely. Damn it, I don't want to do it right now. Uh, no, uh, I, I don't mind at all. Are you kidding? The Hero Initiative group, if this is the first time you're listening to Heroes 101, uh, this was put together by a group called the Hero Initiative group. And what we do is, I call us Good Samaritans on steroids. There's a whole movement out there called the Real Life Superhero Movement, and we're very closely associated with them. We don't wear costumes when we go out into the community to, go, to do good things, but we do wear costumes to events um, to draw attention to what we're doing because many of us have worked in soup kitchens for years, and no one cares until you put a costume on, and then suddenly everyone wants to know what you're doing. Well, we're a global network um, of branches that uh, vary in different we do different things. The, we do things like homeless outreach, um, crime patrols. Uh, we're, we're eyes and ears for the cops. We don't try to do the vigilante stuff. Nope, that's not for us. Uh, we do use needle pickup and um, free self-defense classes, just to name a few of the things that the Hero Initiative Group is into. And anyone can be a hero. That's what we encourage. That's what we're all about. And if you're interested in joining up with any of our branches, 
like I said, we're all over the country and we're in the UK, contact us. Let us know. We'll give you lots of info for that later. Back to you, Spectre. Oh, man. So, you know, people, and, and I guess a couple of things have happened since the last show. One was the release of Nation of Heroes, a documentary, which... Uh, I was, you know, and, and to be honest, I was expecting it to be pretty well received. You know, it's it, it's a fun a fun pilot of the documentary. It's uh, um, Nation of Heroes. For for anyone who doesn't know, it's a it's a, a series of of web, uh, I guess, essentially web video blogs of a group of people, including my lovely co-host here, who travelled literally all the way across the country and halfway back again. Um, in search of everyday heroes, and the idea was to tell the stories of people who are doing good in their communities, and and you know try to try to be a bit more of a, an upbeat news uh, news story rather than some of the, uh, the the depressing stuff that you see plastered all over the place on the media these days. Um, so yeah, but you know even I was blown away by how well received that documentary was, and and if you haven't seen it, check out the uh, the pilot um, Nation of Heroes. It, it's plastered all over our Heroes 101 radio Facebook page and, and <laughs> our, our website as well. You can't miss it. <laughs> but uh, that episode um, focused on on the first leg of the trip, which was to Project Hope, which is a a huge event that that kind of goes hand in hand um, in terms of time with uh, San Diego Comic Con. And essentially involves a, a ton of um, masked and costumed volunteers getting together to to feed the homeless and, and provide supplies to the homeless in San Diego. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've been really <clears throat> I, I've been looking at it. I've never been to Project Hope myself, which is something I'm uh, kind of sad I wasn't able to go this year. But other things. Uh, cropped up and um but you know I, I look at it every year and every year it gets bigger and bigger and better and better and and you know the people are there they just look incredible and uh you know i was i was watching your your posts and your photos uh with a lot of jealousy rock it looked, looked like it was an awesome time oh yeah you know it's every year it's so much work that i swear i'm not going to do this again next year <laughs> But I can't, you know, I forget about it. It's like someone giving birth. You forget about all the pain you went through um, because it is a lot of hard work. But it's the one place, the one time of year that you could meet up with a whole bunch of costumed people. So you're all dressed like dorks. Yes, we call ourselves dorks. And you're out there giving hundreds and hundreds of homeless people backpacks filled with survival supplies. Plus you're given food and water. And the rewards, you get one one person telling you, Thank you. This this saved me. I really needed this today. That that makes the whole year's planning, and it takes a year to plan. It it makes it worth it. So next year, next year, Spectre, you got to be there. Yeah, I will. I, I I won't miss it next year for sure. Um, but you know, I I think um, I, I you know I I guess from my point of view, uh, we we actually had a pre call with our guests tonight on uh, last yesterday evening to kind of plan how the show was going to go and. Uh, I was amazed. <laughs> this this is the first time I've ever spoken to our guest, and I was amazed by how much knowledge this person has. Uh, and that, that's why we've been talking about this show as, you know, the one you really don't want to miss in terms of uh, preparedness information and, and just general safety and, and being a, a generally an informative show. You know, it's very rare that we have guests on who are uh, who, who are this specialized and, and this this much of an expert in this field. So. Uh, I don't know, Rob. Do you want me to, to introduce our, our guest and, and get on with things? Yeah, absolutely. He's got so much good info, and and I gotta say, I've I've known this guy since we were both wee ones in high school. 
as wee as you can get in high school. And to see <laughs> him just grow into this amazing person. I mean, he was awesome in high school. He was so much fun. Um, just to see him grow into who he is now. When I say that he's one of my heroes, he's so humble. He's not going to accept that. I know it already. But he is absolutely one of my heroes. So with that, I'll let you go ahead and introduce him. Because otherwise, I'll spout on forever about him. <laughs> well, uh, let me try to be concise then. So, uh, you know, if I were to say ex-Marine, that that's pretty admirable. And, and I say pretty admirable in a tongue-in-cheek way. That's a, a hell of a thing. If I say ex-municipal fire captain, holy crap, that's uh, that, that's what I would call a, a real a real life hero. Forget about superheroes. Um, when we move on to talking about uh, CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team leader and program manager, um, you know that that's something that we mention regularly on these shows, probably every other show, if not more often, as being a, an enormously valuable resource to the public. Um, and and now, battalion chief for an, an international top ten corporation. Without further ado, Grant Takiwa, welcome, sir. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Yeah, really good. <laughs> So, uh, so who's the other guy that May was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> who's the after, other guy uh, I was talking about? <laughs> after he <laughs> talks for a little while, then maybe I'll have something to add. But uh, right, no, I'm really right. glad to be on your guys' show. I, I love listening to you guys. I think that you guys do a really good service. So uh, the opportunity to come on with you guys and, and talk for a little bit and share some stuff with your audience, I think it's a great opportunity. Well, so, thank um, you. Yeah, so we talked a little bit yesterday, and so I think, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we, we hit on pretty much everything we talked about yesterday. Um, and I know some of the stuff is stuff that you guys have talked about before, but, you know, some of it just bears repeating because I know a lot of people always want to know if, if something were to happen, you know, what would I do? So some of the things that we talked about was that, you know, things that we read in the news, the things that we see on TV, um, the things that, you know, we may have even experienced or we have family and friends across the country, across the world, have experienced. Those are the things that can happen to us. You know, most of your uh, audience, I'm not going to say, you know, everybody's older than, you know, than we are or younger than we are, but uh, 1989 was not so long ago, and we had a very big uh, earthquake. Um, we also had a big wildfire in the Oakland Hills there. And then so I have a lot of friends uh, now in Mississippi and some in Houston, um, you know, so they have had the same experience of, you know, things that are, are not what we would consider normal. And these are the things that, you know, a lot of people want to know if something like that was to happen to me or near me or to my family and friends, what could I do to prepare myself, to be a little bit more prepared um, to do something for them? And so does that seem like I hit pretty much where we're going to start? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a lot of info that we could use. Yeah, so a little bit of my background is I am a former Marine. We like to call ourselves former, not ex. Um, right now we're, we're we're kind of hitting a little bit of a bad spot because as as everybody knows in Chattanooga we just lost four of our brothers um, and you know again that that kind of drives home um, just what a normal place that was you know Chattanooga Tennessee a really good friend of mine um, his daughter went to University of Tennessee Chattanooga and so you know that's it's not a place that's a lot different from anywhere that we live you know our hometown where we've landed, um, it, it's just a normal place. And for something like that to happen so close to home, it, it should spell out the, how obvious it is that those types of things have happened to us. So, you know, we're definitely feeling the pain for, for those Marines and their families. Um, 
but also it, you know it reminds us that 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 kind of stuff is close, and so even more so we need to be prepared for things like that as well. Um, we talked a little bit about things like natural disasters, and you know, um, so if you follow the news right now, one of the things they're discussing is the the potential for a big El Nino this year, and and for those of you that follow the weather, you know, we haven't had one in a while, and we actually could really use one. But what that brings with it is potential for a lot of uh, heavy rain and flooding. Um, and so if you've seen some of the pictures that came out of Houston, for instance, during the uh, the NBA playoffs when our, our Warriors were, were busy doing their thing that they do, winning the World Championship, at the same time we had, you know, some, some pretty terrible things happening in Houston while that was going on. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, they said Dwight Howard was, was stranded at the stadium, or he, he chose to stay at the arena uh, with the people that were there, but the flooding that was going on around that area was very, very bad. Houston is a very large city, um, and you know many of us may have family and friends for that area as well. So once again, that is something that happens with almost frightening regularity that we, you know, we start to see these uh, very severe weather events, and those are the things that we, you know, we can prepare for. For us here in California, we know that, you know, the potential for earthquakes is always there. We, we had one just last year in the Vallejo, Napa area. Not not too bad as far as danger, but then I say that not being one of those people whose houses were uh, very, very badly damaged by, by those earthquakes. But then, uh, again, going back to 1989 when we had the big earthquake, uh, we did see a lot of damage and a lot of death. So, uh, again, those are some some of the kind of things that uh, you know we think about when we think about disaster preparedness. So, remind me if there was anything I missed on as far as that uh, that opening. Can you think of we, anything about perspective? I, I guess you know, you know the other the other aspect which uh, you know nobody likes to dwell on, but certainly over here in New York, we're obviously very cognizant of is uh, is terrorism and. Uh, you know, we, and, and uh, I, I, I'm sure I'm sure you're familiar with it, but we have in in New York um, public safety officers who go around all of the skyrise buildings, um, just showing people where are the emergency exits. You know, what what should you do if you hear an alarm? You know, how do you know if it's safe on the street and that kind of thing? So, you know, certainly, um, obviously from from 9/11 and, and the horrific events then and, and others that have followed, but also just in terms of the, the safety efforts that are going on, uh, terrorism is, is very much in people's minds around here. Yeah, one of the things, um, again, that we talked about yesterday was, uh, like, what I thought was one of my most uh, iconic uh, memories from that day or, or you know, shortly after. Um, I re- do remember, as most of us do, were where I was when that happened. It was I, I was brand new working for the city, um, and I was out doing what probationary firefighters do. I was out uh, wiping the dust off of uh, some of our apparatus, and uh, the engineer came out and said, hey, you need to come in and see this. They had the TV on, and uh, it was after the first plane. It hit the first tower, and shortly after, the second plane hit the second tower. And I remember going home and just sitting in front of the TV all day long and not trying to process what, what I was seeing, but it would almost seemed like it was one of those things that my mind truly wasn't registering what it was. It was just like sitting there in, in a kind of a daze as all these events were occurring in front of me, but my eyes were, you know, it seemed like maybe they were betraying my mind because I didn't think that this is something that we should be seeing. It's not that I'm not spending, you know, $12 to sit in a, a darkened movie theater with my family and, you know, and understand that, you know, it's just special effects. This was something that was happening, but 
the thing that uh, that I mentioned to you guys, I shared with you yesterday, was you know, my most iconic image from that was not the plane sitting in the towers, but someone had caught a shot of the crowd in the street looking back towards the towers, because you could see almost that same feeling that I had in their eyes that they couldn't believe what they were seeing, you know, and they were close up, they were seeing this for real. And again, it's, it's got to be one thing to see it on TV, and then a totally different thing to you know to hear the sound, smell the smells, you know, the smoke, and hear all the things that you're hearing. Um, it, it, it seems like it would overwhelm pretty much the sensibilities of even the most experienced, uh, jaded rescuer, you know, military, police, whatever you can think of. It, it would be too much, and uh, so that kind of segues into kind of you know, how we manage that if those are the kind of situations that, that we ever find ourselves in. And, you know, I always say, um, you know, by no means am I an expert because, you know, I obviously have I've never really experienced those life-threatening things other than, you know, when going into normal uh, structure fires or, you know, I've, I've been into large uh, industrial fires um, and things like that. Even as a Marine, I actually never left the United States. I was uh, activated for Desert Storm, and I helped successfully defend Arizona, but, you know, that's as far as my military service went. So <laughs> I never had a, you know, a bullet go over my head or anywhere near me. So to say that I know how, you know, a person should respond or would respond, you know, some of this is anecdotal, um, and just some of this is, is based on, you know, the education and the, the the experiences that other people have shared that, you know, we use to um, educate ourselves and to educate others. So um, I hope I didn't lose my train of thought. But so anyway, so what we're talking about now is, you know, how we, you know, can maybe compartmentalize or prioritize our actions when these types of situations should occur. And, you know, uh, one of the things I always tell people is, you know, if you have to grab onto something, to focus onto something and, use that to galvanize you to some type of positive, um, effective action is understanding that you may be the one that has to do something to help protect your family and your friends. And these are the people that you're going to be around. It's the same thing when we talked a little bit about, you know, why we learn to do CPR, you know, why we try to learn to do CPR and do it correctly and do it well is because the people that we spend the most time with are the people that think that, you know, we would probably be most interested in saving. You know, that's our family and our friends. And, of course, you know, if we're out in the world, we're going to run into people at the grocery store, we're going to see people at the, on the sidewalk or, you know, wherever we may be at school, at work, you know. But we do spend a lot of time around our family and friends, and, you know, that, if nothing else, should be the thing that drives us to be as prepared as we can be. Absolutely. Uh, something you shared uh, with us yesterday that really hit home for me, uh, really. I mean, we've been talking about this stuff forever, but you said that one of the reasons you tell people, you know, you, why their go bags, their bug out bags should be ready is because the biggest chance of you helping someone is, is um, I mean, the person you're probably going to help most is someone close to you, you know, either yeah, family or coworker. Yeah. yeah, and that so hit me. Part of um. Part of the CERT, CERT program that now, uh, this is a nice kind of segue into that whole program, is what we do is is we um, share this information, and what we do is we gather volunteers. So basically, any city that you live in should have an active CERT program. You would be amazed. 
even if you don't think your city has one, it probably does. And then if it doesn't have one, then maybe you should start one <laughs> because they do a great service. And so what it is is, you know, like I, I always love um, – I could teach any of the units that are, are in the CERT curriculum, but there's one that I really love. So I, I really, really, truly love the disaster psychology and the search and rescue uh, but I really love the introduction because, you know, it gives you an opportunity to speak to these people who are showing up who don't really know maybe what to expect. And, you know, and one of the things that I like to express is, you know, my gratitude for people who want to do this, uh, not for money, obviously, but they want to be able to help their, you know, their selves, but their families and their friends. And so they're coming out to do this. And I say, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, what CERT is, it's basically an auxiliary. Uh, it's a support. It's, it's a, a, something that helps us if the public safety that you have available in your city or in your, in your regional area is overwhelmed because, you know, because of a, a MCI, a mass casualty incident, or a large natural disaster, or a large terrorist attack, or a large industrial action, anything like that. Um, if you know anything about the response capabilities of your local public safety, you know, they're designed to take care of, you know, your normal problems. And if they need extra help, they can call in mutual aid from the, the surrounding areas. But if we have a large-scale event, it would be very easy for those resources that you have, you know, overwhelmed. They're taking care of the things that, you know, the first things on the list, the 10th, the 20th, and the 30th thing that, you know, have to wait. Um so what CERT does is it, it kind of fills that void. So what we do is a lot of these CERT organizations will offer ongoing training. So basically what they try to do is have maybe one or two sessions a year, and they try to fill these classes up. They usually have about 20 to 25 people. And the way you figure it, if you're just always doing this, you're adding about 50 people from your city uh, into this CERT organization. And, and so we run them through, and basically we'll cover um, nine nine units and they cover everything from uh, fire safety, disaster psychology, uh, search and rescue, uh, ICS, CERT organization, and even some disaster medical care. And so, you know, with this training now, by all means, you know, in a lot of ways it's, uh, it's very rudimentary, but a lot of people don't know about a lot of this stuff, so it gives us an opportunity to kind of give them, you know, at least an overview of it, and then we concentrate on things that they could do. Like, for instance, when we talk about fire safety, you know, we encourage them to go home and check their fire extinguishers because, you know, often when I uh, when I hit that unit, I'll say, you know, so I, I might turn to somebody and say, well, how long have you been in your house? And they say, oh, I've been there 15 years. And so um, did you buy a fire extinguisher when you came? So when was the last time you checked it? And they'll usually look, and they have this puzzled look on their face. And um, right then I know the last time they checked it was 15 years ago when they bought their fire extinguisher <laughs> and put it under the sink. So this gives us the opportunity to remind them, hey, go check that extinguisher because I'm almost going to guarantee you that it's probably not going to work. So go out, get a new extinguisher, and check that thing, you know, once a year. The same, you know, you're supposed to check your smoke detectors twice a year, so maybe check your, uh, you know, your uh, fire extinguisher at the same time. You know, then we talk a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned the go bag. So we talk about, you know, setting up a cache of emergency equipment and emergency supplies for people. And we give them a very, very definite list. And people can expand or contract based on their personal needs. But, um, you know, one thing we mentioned is for people who have pets, obviously. A lot of people remember that they have to put some food in there. But, you know, you also remember the medications and the amount of water that a pet will need. So you have to take that into consideration, too. And that has to be rotated. 
So drinking water does not have an indefinite shelf life. So you want to make sure that um, it's probably a good idea to take those water bottles out probably every six months and rotate those, you know, use the water plants or drink them or, you know, uh, make ice cubes and make yourself a nice uh, uh, bourbon on the rocks or something like that. <laughs> um, there you go. But, uh, but there's a lot of things to consider, you know, uh, things like putting some money in there, putting your medications in there, putting um, some flashlights. And then, again, that's the same thing about the flashlights is making sure you check those batteries on a, on a normal basis because, I don't know how many times we've had um, cert refresher classes that we had the people grab their backpacks and say, okay, now we're ready to go ahead and do this search drill portion. They pull their flashlight out and the flashlight doesn't work in. You know, th- this is just training. This is just a drill. This is a controlled situation. You're supposed to have that ready just in case you really, really, really need it. And if it doesn't work, you're really not going to be doing as much good. So, again, some reminders. Um so for, for all your folks there, you don't have to, you know, I, I'm not going to read off a list because you can find them anywhere on uh, the Internet. All you have to do is, you know, put up, uh, type in uh, a disaster medical kit or uh, a go bag. I mean, I, I think that the go bag, sometimes they, they lean a little to more towards more, you know, sometimes adding a firearm. And I don't know how you guys feel about that. I'm, uh, I, I'm not a really big fan of that. I think a, a good sharp knife and you know and a whistle and and a blanket and some spare clothes and some comic books are are more along the lines of the things that I would think of. But definitely, you know, some some um, high protein foods and you know some some uh, granola bars and some some candy and some you know vitamins and you know a lot of things like that. You can find those all on a, uh, any one of your standard lists. And they'll tell you basically everything you need to have in there. Just make sure you pack it in a in a, uh, in a secure, uh, durable bag and make it accessible. You know, there's nothing wrong with having more than one kit. You can keep one kit in the trunk of your car. You can keep one, tr- you know, one kit garage or somewhere re- uh, really close to the outside door. Um, you know, so it's all part of uh, making yourself a little bit more prepared to manage some of these situations that we're talking about. Right. And just just one thing I wanted to throw in, um, Nightbug previously provided a list which was um, really awesome. I think it was from the, the FEMA website, right, Nightbug, where you could search by your location and it would tell you the, the CERT courses nearby. I, and I was just going to say we'll post that on the chat room tonight and also on the on the website so people have got that accessible and can find uh, local CERT resources. Perfect. Um, and so also to go along with that now, we always uh, – want to make sure that people do is establish a communication plan. So the communication plan is not just for you and your family, you know, your your immediate family, because um, a lot of times they say, hey, uh, you know, something happens at our house, our house has on fire, you know, we're all going to meet at our good neighbor's house across the street. Um, all well and good, but if we have, a, you know, a problem that maybe makes it difficult to get home or, you know, for whatever reason, uh, make sure you have an out-of-state contact. So we always suggest that. If you, you you must know somebody. I mean, Rock knows Vector. So, you know, it seems like a pretty right. safe bet that uh, if something happens here in California, hopefully we're we're okay. You know, across the, across the country, um, and make sure that the, you know your family knows how to use that as somewhat of a relay. So you can you can send messages, you can leave messages. Hey, this is where we went. We went to this assembly center, and they can get that message to your contact, and then everybody else can call that contact. So. Um, it's a good idea to kind of have that already situated, so you know when the when the need should arise, and then that they're prepared for that. Right, right. I'm I'm hearing all this and taking notes, <laughs> even though we've done a show on this before. It's 
I'm hearing some new things. So um, we'll just be quiet and let you roll with it because I know you've got a lot more to share. So. <laughs> So, so let me um, so let me slide into this this um, this unit because you know, like I said, it is my favorite, but um, probably not for you know maybe the the, the reason because I, I you know I, I like to you know think that I know how people think because um, what we had mentioned yesterday is that you even if you do or if you think you do you don't you know because people will have a tendency in really stressful situations like this to act absolutely counterintuitively you know sometimes you know. You can tell people what to do, and you know, in a normal situation, you say, "Oh, that person is very, uh, very nice and easy to talk to, and very reasonable, and we always have nice conversations." Uh, but under the stress that you may experience in some of these situations, they, you know, absolutely lose it. I mean, their head spins around a couple times like the Exorcist baby, and and, and you know, you're like, you know, you're not the same person, and you don't realize that, you know, you're you're not helping yourself, and you're not helping us. So. You know, when we talk about disaster psychology, one of the things that, that goes into that is talking about, you know, us. And that is, what is it that makes people do something when something goes wrong? And so um, one of the things I experienced, so I'll, I'll go back a little ways. When I was in boot camp, we were um, doing a, you know, it, it was part of our outside training. And uh, we had to hump up this hill, and it was in a, in a driving rainstorm down in San Diego there. And they put us up in this area and they said, well, you need to, you need to set up your tents. Well, the way that they have it for us is they, they issue us a shelter half. So you basically have half, a, you know, half the shelter, half the tent. You have three poles, which is good enough for one side, and you have a couple ropes, and you have a couple tent tags. Partner has to have the other part. So you have to work together to put this tent together so you have a, a dry place, a relatively dry place to sleep that night. So I start throwing my stuff out, start grabbing my stuff, start putting my poles together, and I turn around and look, and my partner is standing there, and he's just looking down at the ground, and he's uh, he was praying. And I'm like, you know, you need to stop praying. You need to start doing something. Grab your stuff. <laughs> I didn't use that <laughs> word. But grab your stuff <laughs> and start doing your part here because we need to get this tent put together. And he, he was just so uncomfortable and so unaccustomed to these kinds of situations. And as I found out later, he'd never, he'd never been camping, obviously, and he'd never been outside of his, his small hometown, and he just didn't know what to do, even though I'm trying to give him instructions while we're standing there, and he just he, and he's just frozen. And, and it really wasn't scary. It wasn't, you know, nobody was even yelling at, at us at this time. He just didn't know what to do or what to get him over this hump of, inactivity. And so one of the things, you know, you know, I, I try to um, uh, remember is that sometimes people need a little bit of a trigger. So when they see something, they need to have some kind of trigger that, that says, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're seeing this thing, process it, and then come up with some solutions on how to, how to manage it. And then the trigger is what gets you from that point to the point where you actually start effectively uh, and productively starting to do something. So uh, a lot of times people will uh, mistake uh, activity for productivity. You know, just think if they start running around and start giving orders or start just grabbing things or start touching things that they're actually doing something, and that's not always the case. So, you know, again, uh, one of the things that, you know, I always say to myself is, you know, just stop, take a breath, and see if you can put what you're seeing into words. And, and this doesn't mean you spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, but what you're doing is you're looking at it and saying, okay, this is what we have. 
this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do it with. And if all those things are there, then you can say, now this is what I, you know, this is the time now to put this plan into action. You know, and then again, we always want to make sure that we come up uh, with a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, just in case one of those things doesn't work. Um, but then it's that little bit of a trigger. So kind of sliding over to, you know, one of the things that I, I teach a lot is uh, CPR. So I teach a lot of CPR, and, and my wife said to make sure I mentioned, uh, you know, how important it is to um, look, for everybody to learn CPR and the Heimlich Maneuver. Heimlich Maneuver is a very, very effective way to, to help a person when they're choking. Um, I've probably taught 150, if not more, CPR classes, CPR and first aid classes. And I used to say that the Heimlich Maneuver is pretty close to 100% effective. Um, over the you know 20 years or so that I've been teaching these classes, I came to find out from uh, testimony <laughs> that that is not the case. The high maneuver is not 100% um, successful, and I and I knew that in my head, but I had never heard uh, not just anecdotal stories, but stories from people who told me you know that my son died. You know, we tried to um, clear the airway, we did everything just like you're telling us to do it, and it didn't work for whatever reason. My wife told me a story that something had just happened recently where somebody was trying to blow up a balloon, and they inhaled the balloon, and they ended up dying. Oh, my um, God. We had, we had a, a gentleman that, you know, and they, you know, we talk about how smoking kills. Well, apparently chewing tobacco kills, too, because he had put a wad of chewing tobacco in his mouth. Um, he was walking with some friends at work, and somebody told him a joke. He started laughing, and he basically inhaled this wad of tobacco. Well, Tobacco doesn't necessarily come out when you're doing a high you run something the same as a piece of steak or a piece of a sandwich will. Um, and in, in this case, by the time we got to him, we're trying to basically dig this mud and cement out of his airway, and we were not successful. I mean, all our efforts, we had um, a small device called a VBAC. It's a handheld suction device that you use. It's got a little bit of a, a nipple on the end that you put down their, down their throat, and you're trying to suction this goo out and uh, he had been down for too long and we just were not able to clear his airway of course the Heimlich maneuver wouldn't have helped him he was already uh, unconscious he was apneic and uh, pulseless by the time we got to him but uh, we were unable to clear his airway um, so that being said the Heimlich maneuver is a very 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 successful way to clear uh, uh, an obstructed object in a person's windpipe um, you know, one of the things I, you know, I always ask people is, you know, well, how many CPR classes have you had? And most people that you know we run into that go to these refresher CPR classes have had many CPR classes previously. Rarely, rarely do we find an adult that has never taken the CPR class. But uh, one of the things we always want to remind people, so you know, we ask them, well, uh, you know, it's important to know how to position your hand, where to position it, you know, in between the belly button and the bottom of the rib cage. You make a fist, and the, and the thumb side goes in. You put your other hand in. It's a kind of an upward diagonal motion, very, very definite and aggressive, and you're, and you're trying to get this, um, trying to use that airspace in the abdomen to, to force out this obstruction in the person's windpipe. But also, very, very important is where you position your feet, because a lot of people will show you, well, this is how I do it. They'll stand behind the person. But it's very, very important when you do that. When the way you position your feet, you want to put one foot in front, in between their legs, and then one foot back. So you're kind of like a tripod. So if they are to collapse, this is you know it's always a possibility if a person is not breathing. Um, if they start to collapse forward, you can hold hug on hug them basically and slide them to the ground. And if they start to fall backwards, same thing. You hug them and you slide them to the ground. 
if you've got, if you're standing kind of with the, I think they call it legs akimbo, uh, but basically standing behind them with your legs spread out, if they fall backwards, you're going to fall backwards too. We'll show up, and now we have two patients. You know, that's kind of what we always try to avoid. So that that leg position is very, very important. And that's, that, you know, um, it, 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 it always bears reminding because people will not always remember all the things to do in a, in a stressful situation again it's kind of hard to think uh you know every single step you're supposed to follow um i always kind of teach the story about you know a hand grenade a hand grenade is a very very intuitive piece of equipment um if you've ever seen one or used one you you, you probably have four or five there in your in your uh stash there in your go bag there rock um, <laughs> oh yeah grenade basically has three pieces. It's got the grenade itself, and it's got a, a piece called a spoon, and it's got a pin. When you pull the pin out, the, spin, the spoon is spring-loaded, and it will pop off, and the hand grenade is active. So you say, if, if I put a hand grenade in your hand and ask you, you know, there's, here's a bad guy coming at you, uh, Jason or the Terminator or Alien, whatever, you got to <laughs> kill it, and this is all you have, it's pretty easy. You pull the pin, and you throw the grenade at it. But there have been cases where people, you know, will freeze. They will not remember to do these two simple steps, which is pull the pin and throw the grenade. The same thing goes for anything. You know, we're talking about a minimum number of things that you need to do to do the height maneuver or do CPR. There's there's not a lot. But what it is is, you know, people start to panic a little bit, and so it's kind of hard to put things in a, in a, in a, a, a logical progression. Uh, once I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, because... When you do this in a classroom setting, it is entirely different from what happens when you do it on the outside. So all the classes that we teach, every time we teach CPR, we're, we're teaching them in almost the ideal environment. We're talking about we're teaching them indoors. You know, a lot of times there's carpet on the ground. A lot of times they came with friends. You, know, you have an instructor that's there to coach you. Um, and then the, the person that you're doing the CPR compressions on is a very gentle, uh, pliable kind, quiet, classic mannequin. Well, of course it's easy to do all the steps that, that you need to do to perform CPR, but now you try that, you know, on the side of a road, in the gravel, at night, in a driving rain, with the family screaming at you to do something, and it becomes, you know, a totally different situation, and, you know, it maybe it is one thing that you'll know, forget to check the airway or uh, look for your reference point or, you know, to do all these things to actually be an effective rescuer. So um, one of the things, too, is, you know, like we said, training is one thing. Training is usually uh, in a very, very controlled environment. You know, so for one reason, we don't want to put people in the exact same situation um, that they may experience in a disaster or in some type of stressful situation. You know, I know um, that they've done some military training where they actually shoot light, live rounds over, you know, people's heads. Um, so they kind of get, you know, understand the sounds that they may be hearing and, and feel the air moving and, and uh, you know, it, it gets a little bit closer to approximating the situation they may be in. But for the most part, when we train people, we train them in a, in a very controlled environment and it, and it almost does a disservice because uh, we always say, you know, train the way you play, you know, as, as if your life depended on it. But this is um, supposed to be kind of how it will be. And that is, it's a, and it's a lie, it, you know, it, and it can trick people because I've had people leave a, a CPR class and go, man, you know, I, I think I could do it really, really well. And, you know, 
I, I, I almost wish that somebody would collapse at the at the grocery store where I'm going next, and I'll I'll do CPR and I'll be great. And it's Jeez. the most ridiculous thing you could possibly think of. You know, it's just like anything else. You hope that none of these things ever, ever, ever happen again, or ever. And you know, for someone to say something like that means that they have some type of uh, maybe a misunderstanding of you know what it is you're actually doing and what you're dealing with. You're dealing with somebody who's having the worst day of their life. And a lot of times there's going to be other people around there who are in an absolute panic, and it is not going to be fun, and it's not going to be easy. And so, you know, that's one of the things, you know, and, and it's it's actually very difficult to tell people this because, you know, they don't have a concept of it. They think, well, you know, no, I, don't th- I think I'll be able to do it. I think it's fine. I understand all the steps. I'm an intelligent person, and I could do that. But, you know, sometimes I think that, you know, we ha- if we don't, if we forget to remind people that this is not what it's like in real life, uh, then we're doing them a disservice. So, you know, that's one of the things that I always try to think of myself because um, I don't ever want to forget that. And, Grant, can I can I just ask, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, I, I know people who, who have said to me, um, you know, I kind of feel like I should learn CPR and I should learn some basic first aid, but, you know, I'm, I'm such a klutz and I'm, and I'm terrified by the sight of blood and I, and I completely freak out. You know, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't learn it. Maybe I'd be more dangerous, to, you know, trying to help someone than if I were just to stand back and let someone else do it. And, uh, well, and that, admit, I know and how I feel about that argument, but I wanted to get your opinion. Right. No, it's, it's a very good point, but, you know, the thing that you always you want to bring back home is, you know, the people that they're going to be around. You know, are they always there with a with a group of other people? Are they always there with somebody else who does know CPR or who does know how to do first aid or who does know what to do in an emergency situation? And the answer is probably going to be, you know, if you're being honest, no. You know, the only person who's going to be there is going to be you. So Absolutely. why not, you know, why not would you want to be as prepared as you possibly can? Now, as, to, to, to address the point that you made, you know, well, I, you know, I don't think I can, or I, I think it's something that I, I wouldn't be able to do. You know, maybe a person is being very, very honest. Um, you know, and I'd like to think that I could train anybody, but I know that that's not true because I know that there's things that people have tried to teach me, and I have, I just don't get it. You know, I, I, I've tried to learn how to play the piano for years, and 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 it's the most horrible thing to to, to hear. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of things that, you know, that I can think of. You know, obviously I can't dunk the basketball for for very obvious reasons. I'm a, you know, 54-year-old Asian guy. But um, <laughs> but there are, you know, but there's there's uh, there's things that, you know, that, that, that we can't do. You know, we have to understand, you know, what we are able to do. CPR, first aid, those are things that anybody can do. And the thing about it is, is, you know, you have to understand that sometimes the only thing that's going to be standing between Life and death for this person, and you're the only person there, is you. So um, one of the things that we do teach, you know, obviously we transition away, and I, and I spoke a little bit uh, yesterday to you about um, how we used to traditionally teach CPR. CPR was always thought of to be um, traditionally was the, the ventilations and the compressions that included the mouth-to-mouth and then the hands on the chest doing the, the compressions, and that's the way it was always taught. It was taught that way, and like I said, I've been teaching it for 25 years at least, um, and I remember that was the way it was always taught. And in 25, 20, 15, even 10 years ago, um, nobody was offering compression-only CPR as an option. So what that meant was every single person, every single time that you ever saw somebody collapse and they needed uh, CPR, you were going to do the mouth-to-mouth. That's the way you're trained. There's an, it's not an option. 
Um, and so what was happening was people were, were coming upon situations where, you know, it's somebody they don't know. Or maybe it's, it's, a, it's a homeless guy with any number of other issues that, you know, that may go along with, you know, what, what their situation is. Or maybe they vomited or maybe they bit their tongue and they're bleeding or their saliva or, you know, or, you know, you could just smell the alcohol or, or whatever it is. But for whatever reason, you are either hesitant or you adamantly refuse to do the mouth-to-mouth. Well, what would happen is people, having been trained to do mouth-to-mouth compression, they would do nothing. And then those people would die. So they decided, you know, the, the best thing that we can do is kind of uh, take a look at what we're talking about here. People are reluctant to do CPR because they are either reluctant or, or refuse to do the mouth-to-mouth. Well, they've actually done the studies that showed that compression-only CPR is actually very, very effective. For one thing, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have a break in, in between the compressions, and, and the compressions are very, very important to build the pressure in the circulatory system to keep the oxygenated blood that is still entrained in the, in the body uh, from providing that oxygen to the rest of the body. So, you know, um, one of the things that I had mentioned, too, was that, um, you know, how important it is to understand not how to do something but why you do something. So when we teach CPR, it's not a matter of just putting your hand on somebody's chest in the middle of their chest and then pushing down 30 times and then breathing their mouth twice or just doing the compressions uh, uh, at least 100 times a minute what you have to do is you have to actually accomplish something and know what it is you're trying to accomplish. And what you're trying to accomplish, you're just trying to squeeze this muscle that's inside the chest that is protected by the ribs. And you're trying to squeeze it hard enough to squeeze that blood through all those little tiny veins, arteries, and capillaries and, you know, circulate this blood all the way through the body, through to the toes, back up through the vital organs and to the brain to keep this person alive. Um, and also the action of pushing on the chest, it actually creates some pressure in the lungs, so it actually can draw some air. And they say it's actually a very, very effective way to keep a person alive long enough for us to defibrillate them, long enough for ALS providers to arrive on scene and actually provide that definitive care that a person needs to hopefully you know, give them a good quality of life uh, uh, by the time we get them to the hospital. So, um, you know, so the thing about it is about, you know, a person thinking that they can't do it, you know, even if you think you can't, take the training, you know, and if after you've been trained by, you know, better instructors than I, uh, if you still say that you can't, you know, at least if you're in that situation where you're the only one there and it is your wife, it is your son, it is your mom, your favorite uncle, your best friend, at least you know what you're supposed to do. At least you know what you're supposed to try to do. I would guarantee that you're going to do a lot better than that person not having somebody there to do anything at all. Does that make sense? I, that, that? It does. It does. And I have I have a comment someone sent me who's listening. Um, they said, I'm really glad that Spectre just asked that because um, one of the volunteer coaches on her uh, soccer team, she coaches soccer, just said that when they told him to go and get CPR certified. He said he didn't think he could. So she says now she knows how to approach that the next time she tells him to do it. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's one of the best things that we do, you know, and, and it's not, you know, we don't go to do CPR to have like a, a fun night out. You know, it's not like, <laughs> hey, let's have fun. Let's let's all go take a CPR class. We don't, you know, it's just, it's never a fun night. Um, uh, I, I, I like to teach CPR and I usually like to keep it a little bit light. And I've been taught by some really um, good instructors and I've actually worked with some really, really good uh, paramedics 
Um, and then the guy that I worked for for a very long time, he uh, he owned the business that we used to teach a lot of CPR all the way up and down, all the way from South San Francisco, Genentech, all the way to Genentech and Vacaville, all the Chiron, uh, some of the police departments, the dispatchers, um, school. Um, you know, their 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 teaching styles is, you know, it was one of those things that actually led to, you know, the development of my teaching style and understanding, you know, it's not just teaching somebody how to do something, but it's getting them engaged, you know, and kind of tying it in with the reason that we're learning to do all these things is that it's because we want to help. We want to know how to do something. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always very, very honest. There is no way. I mean, we could sit in a classroom. We could bring expert after expert after expert in for a year, and we can run into something on that 366th day that we didn't cover or that we have no answer for or it's, you know, it is, it is totally outside of the, you know, the, the realm of, of what we predicted or even, you know, fantasized about um, and because there's no way to prepare for everything. But what we do is we try to provide a framework so we can manage a lot of things. You know, so, you know, the disaster medical care, you know, it doesn't teach us how to reattach an arm if it gets, doesn't teach us how to, you know, uh, make an incision in the abdomen and pull an alien out of somebody's stomach, you know, but we <laughs> do learn how to, how to control bleeding, how to um, splint uh, broken limbs. We do how to treat, know how to treat for shock. Uh, there's all these things that, you know, there are basic things that you, you know, that definitely, um, if you see some of these mass casualty incidents or, you know, uh, like you'll see a rail car explode or, you know, like we had in San Mateo, you know, these big things or some of these wildfires. Um, you know, obviously, you know, if, if you had a big wildfire, with, you know, um, sweep through a town, you would have a lot of burns. So, you know, there's some stuff that we learn in disaster medical care and how to treat burns or how to, you know, at least protect these people from infection, from shock, you know, keep them, you know, at least in a condition so we could try to get them to the hospital. And uh, not, you know, we don't just let them sit there or, or lay there and die. And, you know, that, again, those are the things, you know, it, it, it's looking at somebody and not doing anything or looking at somebody going, you know, I'm at least going to try this. This is something that I've heard is, you know, has at least a chance of being successful. And that goes kind of when we talk about CPR, you know, we're, we're, we're all Americans. You know, we, we have a kind of a sense of, you know, we want to know that something is going to be, you know, good, uh, something's going to be successful. And, you know, get people will say, well, how successful, how effective is CPR? You know, if I know how to do CPR and if I do it correctly, if somebody experiences cardiac arrest, you know, will they live if I do CPR on them? And, you know, you, you know what the, the answer is, is there are no guarantees. And as a matter of fact, just CPR alone is not that effective. It will provide the bridge before, for us to be able to get a defibrillator, for us to intubate, for us to uh, push medications, for us to shock a person, you know, to do some of these things that can actually get them to that space. And if we do CPR, early defibrillation, early transport, early uh, advanced care, the percentage goes up. So if you say, let's just say, for, for instance, that the percentage of people who survive cardiac arrest and they get CPR for, let's say, 10 minutes, you know, if the if the percentage rate is somewhere around five to ten percent, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, that's not very effective. You know, why should I why should I spend four hours in a class or three hours in a class to learn how to do something that is basically, you know, very very ineffective or not very effective? And you know, I say I say, well, what if the percentage was one percent? 
And then what if this was your child? Would you not want to give your, your child a 1% chance of survival at least? Because what are the chances of survival for that child if you do nothing? And we know the answer is zero. So which is better, 1% or 0%? And the percentage is actually quite a bit higher. And if you do good CPR, you get you call 911, you get ALS coming, you find a defibrillator. Defibrillators are everywhere nowadays. Um, the chances of a person surviving, uh, they go up quite a bit. You know, if you want to talk maybe somewhere in the range of 20 to 25 to 30% even, um, we're talking about a good reason to learn how to do CPR. So we're prepared. And, and on that, you were talking about you're you're giving us all this because you want somebody to be able to help. Because for people who want to help, you know, th- these classes are available. There is a whole group of people out there who want to help called the – I know you've heard about them now because you hear mm-hmm. see my post, the Real Life Superhero Movement. And we've got people out there out doing patrols, street patrols, all the time now. Um, and every now and then I'll hear something like you said with the, uh, gosh, I hope I get to try this on someone. And that, that makes me sad because you're right. Then that means that they're hoping someone's having the worst day of their life. But on the other hand, there are those who, who know better and who say, I want to be out there to help. I really hope we don't see anything. But for someone walking around carrying a bag of, of medical equipment or whatever they're carrying, what kind of advice would, and I know this is very general, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly what they'd need unless we knew what kind of uh, things they expected to run in. But if someone sees someone just laying there unresponsive, I've, I've come across that a couple of times. Um, after I call 911, what, what would you have them do? Would you have them, you know, try to revive the person or is it better to not touch the person? What would you do or what would you so, tell them? So part of uh you know, maybe not so much uh, the training that we do when we're teaching uh, disaster medical care or CPR or first aid um, or, you know, when we're tra- you know, training firefighters or uh, police officers. Um, you know, the part that we don't necessarily go over is, you know, um, uh, you know, is it, it – well, let me take that back. So one of the first things that we always advise is, you know, checking for scene safety. You know, so, right. you know, how to manage that or, or making a determination, you know, the thing that we don't say is, you know, how, you know, am I making a determination whether or not to help this person? So one of the things that protects us is what they call the Good Samaritan Act and also right. implied consent. So the Good Samaritan Act protects us if we're not able to save this person, but we do our, you know, within our scope of practice, the things that we have been trained to do. And then with, the, with implied consent, the assumption is if you find somebody that's unconscious that's not able to actually give you explicit uh, directions or, or consent to say, yes, treat me, uh, we operate under implied consent, which means that, you know, there's an assumption that obviously if, if I was to be laying unconscious and you or anyone of your, your people were to come upon me, please, I don't even, this is not implied, this is explicit, please do what you can to, uh, to help me. So. The, the thing about that is, though, you know, going back to scene safety, so scene safety is one of those common sense things. And um, one of the things that we, we caution people is, is, you know, when they say they see something that is maybe a little bit unusual, they see a person laying on the ground, well, our tendency is to focus in on that thing that is unusual, that is unnatural or just unexpected, um, and they focus in on that and forget to, you know, make sure that you take a look around. Why is this person there? Is there... Are there some dangers here? Maybe not, you know, maybe he wasn't mugged, maybe he collapsed, or maybe he was uh, shocked, or maybe he tripped and fell, or maybe, you know, something. 
but at least take a quick glance around. And I don't mean, you know, you, you, you spend three or three to five minutes doing an invest, accident investigation, trying to, trying to figure out what happened. I mean, you obviously have a person here who is in need. Um, and then the other thing too, when we try to assess for responsiveness, so the new protocols, you know, they say basically if you get a person that's unresponsive, you know, call 911 for adults, call 911 immediately, and then begin CPR compression. So uh, that is one thing. But we also, you know, a lot of times, you know, pay out situation that, you know, maybe if you see a person lying in the grass, maybe it's a good idea to, to, to give a quick shout and then possibly give a quick shake on the shoulder. And we call that the shake and shout. And it, then it, it um, uh, progresses to what they call a sternal rub. And what you do is you take the knuckles of your, of your hand and you rub it on their sternum right there in the middle of their rib cage uh, forcefully enough to say, you know, like if you were taking a nap, that would wake you up. If the guy, you know, wakes up swinging, that's, you know, hey, you know what, we, we, we run away. I mean, that's probably the better part of valor. But if they don't respond, then we understand, you know, this person needs some help. So call 911 and, you know, if you're able to do that and then um, start CPR compression. So that's basically how we uh, recommend, you know, dealing with that kind of situation. Um, that sternum rub too, works. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there, I've I, seen a number of different ones. I've seen them do the uh, uh, a, a squeeze on the trap, a uh, squeeze oh. on the earlobe. Um, what I don't recommend is holding the hand over the face. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, but uh, uh, I no. have heard that if somebody thought somebody was uh, faking, um, they would hold their hand over their face. And it's it can be kind of funny to see when their hand magically doesn't hit their face. If they are, are unconscious, and their hand does hit their face, and they break their nose or cause themselves some kind of injury, you are liable. That is outside of the scope of your practice. You actually cause that injury. So do not. Sounds funny. Do not do that. Um, the one thing, too, you know, like I said, when I teach CPR classes, I have a vested interest. I'm getting up in age. You know, my diet is not the best. Um, I, I always tell the guys, you know, this, you know, I have an incentive to teach you to do, to do the best CPR because in three hours, you know, I expect to have 12 highly trained, highly motivated, really good CPR providers available if for some reason I have a heart attack. So, you know, this is a little bit of a selfish thing, but, you know, there is a reason for us to learn how to do CPR. And, you know, if everybody knew how to do it, you'd be amazed at, you know, how often uh, we might hear about more people surviving. Exactly. And, you know, that, that falls in line every time you see the, uh, the, the headlines, hero saves so-and-so. That's because they took whatever, even if they didn't think they could, they took whatever they learned and they applied it right then. Yeah. So, you and know. I'll, and I'll tell you, um, God, what was the guy's name? The guy, he had a show just on for oh, John Mulaney. And, and he had a really funny bit because he was saying, you know, um, the New York Post, and you might know a little bit more about this vector, but he was saying something how, you know, they would say, you know, hero does this. Well, a lot of times it was hero does his job. You know, they say, well, hero saves somebody's life. You know what? You know, what I hope is a person doesn't do it, obviously, because they want to be a hero. You know, they see somebody who needs some help, and they provide it. You know, and I, I wouldn't care if someone did CPR and then, you know, the, the paramedics showed up and they ran away. You know, I don't want any attention. I don't care. You know, all I want to know is that person um, is going to live, is going to go home, is going to hug his kid, and, you know, and, and live a good life, they, you know, just because of something that I learned and I did. And, you know, right. like I said, so he, hero in that context, I don't know if that's, if that's necessary. 
exactly appropriate or, you know, the kind of thing, you know, it's just what people would do. I think a person who wouldn't do that, you know, that they're an entirely different word. But, you know, <laughs> I, would hope that, I would hope that everybody would uh, do that if they saw that and they had the ability and the knowledge and, and you know, had that trigger that, that uh, got them to do something to try to help their, you know, their fellow man. So uh, that's my thought on that. And you know what as well, I, I love the, the message that you gave earlier on that um, the, these CERT classes, you know, are just essentially just increasing the capabilities of the people in your local communities to, to be better at looking after themselves and looking after other people. And, you know, I'm just looking here, uh, Nightbug posted the link to your, your local CERT classes. Within 20 miles of my home, I've got more than 20 different CERT classes that I could go to. And the closest one to me has only been running for, for just over a year and it's already had a hundred people qualified in cert basic training. So you know, just just to know that a, a mile away from my house, within you know, probably within a few square miles of that, there's a hundred people who have had you know basic cert training and presumably basic uh, CPR as well. Is it you know, is, is is a pretty huge thing, right? And uh, you know, like uh, for where May and I grew up, we grew up in I'm sorry, Rock. Um, oh, whatever. That's give, okay. Give away your didn't want to give away your uh, your. <laughs> Your superhero uh, identity, um, but uh, so where we grew up, there's a very, very good lady. She's in charge of the OES uh, there. I don't know if I'm supposed to say her name, but her name's Kathy. I don't, I'm not going to say her last name, but she's in charge of uh, OES there, and she runs the CERT program in Richmond, and she has a lot of fantastic volunteers. Uh, a lady named Donna uh, up here in the city of Vacaville. I worked with some very fantastic people. The two uh, gentlemen that started the CERT program here. One was uh, uh, in the fire department. He was the deputy chief. And then another one was a lieutenant in the police department. They started our CERT program. Um, and then I worked with a couple of great volunteers, well, actually a couple of great uh, public safety employees that that were um, the instructors with the CERT with me. And, you know, so you get to meet all these volunteers. Um, you, you go to these conferences and you meet these people who are just so passionate about it. There's a, a friend of mine from down in, I think, Costa Mesa or somewhere down south, but uh, she was one of the instructors at the National Fire Academy uh, in Emmitsburg, Maryland, where I, I took a, um, uh, the CERT program manager and train the trainer course. Uh, but her name is Brenda Emmerich, and if you meet this lady, you would be, it's absolutely spectacular. You know, if she was able to bottle some of this, this energy and this charisma and this enthusiasm for just this specific thing. Um, you know, this is the thing that some people truly have a passion for, the ability to be able to talk to people and train people and get them excited about this. Um, again, you know, we're preparing for the day when something happens that is horrible, you know, that we hope never comes. But to get people to understand, you know, this is something that's very, very important. And if we don't do it, you know, who will? Um, but I have, you know, had the good fortune to um, to train with some of these people and learn from some of these people and, you know, they're, you know, it's a, a, a fascinating kind of culture. It's almost like a little subculture. But um, but then you meet all the volunteers. I have some really good friends, Gus and Shirley, and I don't want to say how old they are, but you know they're they're up there in age. But these are two of the best volunteers that we've ever had. Um, we did a um, uh, a little bit more advanced training, so we were learning how to do the cribbing and uh, lifting. And so we lifted this gigantic concrete block, and this thing probably weighed 1,200 pounds. And Gus and Shirley were on one corner. We're starting off with crowbars and a little bit of the wedges and the two-by-fours and working their way up to the four-by-fours. And on their one corner, they helped us lift this 1,200-pound lift this slab of concrete about 25 inches in the air. 
And you know, like I said, you know, you get these people who say, I don't know if I could do that. Well, you know, if you saw if you saw these two friends of mine, you'd be like, you know what, if they could do it, anyone could do it. And that's not to say anything bad about them, but truly the training and the passion and the motivation and all those things, you know, if they could do it, really, truly, anybody could do it. And so, you know, just really quickly, so if the people, you know, want a little bit more information about it, obviously, you know, you you look at your city, um, you could check their, their public safety website or even the basic, um, the main city homepage a lot of times, They'll have a link, and it'll say emergency preparedness, emergency response, or CERT. Um, and then they'll typically they'll, they'll tell you when their next class starts. And the classes typically run um, about five weeks. So the classes, all the classes I did ran five to six weeks. They usually go in the evening. So sometimes they'll be like on Thursday from 6 to 9 or 6 to 8.30. Um, and they'll go through all these units. And then on the, the Saturday, usually after that last class, they'll have a, a, a half-day or a full-day drill where they're actually running you through these stations where you'll practice doing the, the medical care, you may practice doing a search, um, you may practice you know, using the fire extinguisher on a, on a fire pan. So all these things that you get to do to, you know, to practice your skills and then you, know, you graduate and you, and you um, uh, sign up for some of the more advanced training and you get your green vest and your green helmet and you, know, you are blessed to go out and, you know, hopefully never see something bad happen, but uh, you're prepared to uh, do something if you do. Uh, you're absolutely right, because ever since we graduated from our CERT classes, we've been called in a couple of times to help. We helped find a uh, a missing uh, elderly man, I believe he was 90 years old, and it was getting cold and late, and he had been missing since 3 that afternoon. Um, he was found uh you know, I love the way that they systematically spread us out throughout the town and um, have the command center. And we found the guy. Luckily, he was okay. He was cold. He had wandered off with only his slippers on. So uh, it could have got dicey. You know, we found him close to midnight. But the way that they have everything set up, Grant, I got to tell you, it gives me hope because realistically if some giant catastrophe hits and i swear it feels like we're i'm not a doom and gloom girl but it feels like one is right around the corner and i actually believe we'd be screwed because like you said the, the there'd be the hospitals would be overwhelmed you know ems would be overwhelmed it's nice to know that there is this whole cert you know on our block alone we've got you know three or four different people who went to cert so i know that at least there'd be someone close by to help out. This stuff is real important. Right. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is, you know, any kind of education. Education is great. You know, um, one of my favorite uh, movie quotes is, it was from that uh, that movie, We Were Soldiers. It was that Mel Gibson um, movie. But, you know, I, I love training. Training is, you know, is it's probably the closest thing we do to get, you know, to get ourselves ready to manage some of these situations, but we get to do the things that you know, like when we're doing fire training, we're putting, we're, we're pulling hoses, we're cutting holes, we're throwing ladders, you know, all those things. So training is, you know, it's an opportunity to do those things, to actually put our hands on things. And you know, for Type A personalities like us, um, you know, it, it's perfect. But the the line from the movie is is uh, basically, you know, Mel Gibson is putting his men on notice, and you know, I hope you guys like training because. Me and the sergeant major, and that was Sam Elliott, because we love it. You know, so I hope you like it. We love it. You know, but training, you know, it, you know, it, it should open our eyes. So when we talk a little bit about things like AEDs, we talk about AEDs. You know, some people, you know, I may ask somebody, says, so you know, how many AEDs do you think you have in your city? And they're like, well, the 
the ambulances carry them. Well, sure. You know, will they have them at the hospital? Absolutely. Uh, but uh, in the city I live in, they're all over the place. They're at the movie theater. They're at Gold's Gym. They're in shape. They're at, at uh, uh, Fitness 19. They're at the swimming pool. They're at the Costco. They're at every single school. You know, amazing. So it's one of those kind of things where you tell people that. You say, well, how many do you think you have at your local airport? Let's say San Francisco Airport. And they're like, they have them at the airport? He goes, yeah, well, the next time you go to the airport, take a look around. They'll be in well-marked. Um, cabinet that says AED. Typically, they'll have a big sticker that says AED with a heart with a little shocky electric thing and an arrow pointing down to the box. That's an AED. So start looking around. So it's almost like, you know, firefighters always are, you know, we're always looking for the exit sign. We're always looking for the extent, the pull station, the alarm panel, uh, those types of things. This is kind of one of those things, too, as you're walking around. It goes, oh, my God, there's a, there's a fire exit and there's an AED. You start to see these things. And, you know, so then if you need it, there it is. You know where to go get it. Or, you know, again, we don't ever, ever want to have to do that. But um, but if something like that were to happen, you know, for you to be able to say, you know, there is an AED down that hallway, probably about 25 yards, grab it and bring it back. And I'm going to start doing CPR compressions. You know, so that's kind of how, you know, training, um, you know, kind of opens our eyes so we start to see these things. And the other thing, too, is, you know, as we're just driving around or doing our our, our, our normal daily lives, you know, there is, um, you know, being able to see where your, your fire stations are located, where your police stations are located, you know, where the, the places for shelter in place are, you know, all these things should kind of, you know, trickle into your brain and kind of park there. And hopefully if you ever need any of that information, it's, it's accessible to you um, to help you out. Um, I have to tell you, Grant, I keep getting text messages from people who are listening in right now. One of them is um, from my uh, my Sifu's wife, actually, uh, who is also um, a, a martial arts instructor. And she was saying that she, she loves the fact that you were talking about training under duress as opposed to sitting at desks and, you know, looking at slides. Uh, that's one thing that Spectre mentioned yesterday, that uh, just like at the dojo, they make sure that we are able to visualize and put forth the actual emotional content and energy that you would in a real-life situation. Because, And I'm quoting from her right now, if you practice your martial arts half-assed, then all you're going to get is half-assed martial arts when you really have to use it. And that's an excellent point, to be able to see exits like you said, to be able to, you know, to visualize in case, what if this happens? It keeps you from going into catatonic shock, right? Right. And, you know, one of the, one of the important things is, you know, um, so a lot, of, a lot of these things are, you know, that we talk about, they're, they're skills. You know, we can't actually um, uh, truly tell a person how they're going to act or what to think or how to, you know, figure out these, uh, these problems. One of the things, you know, like I said, working with some of the, you know, more experienced fire captains and fire chiefs and firefighters, you know, uh, I have met actually career firefighters who just like that job or career engineers who just like that job or, or police officers that never wanted to promote up. But that time, those were the guys that knew the most. I mean, they had the most experience. If you if you talk to a 30-year firefighter, you say, well, that guy never, you know, never wanted to promote. You know, why? There must be something wrong with them. And that's usually not the case. That's what they, they want to do. They want to be able to throw a ladder and climb, you know, pull a hose and, and go bust down doors and, and, and do those types of things. Um, but, um, where was I going with that? <laughs> but when they I do, lost I... I lost myself, but you know, the, but the, the, uh, but some of these guys, what, you know, I know where it was. 
so some of these guys, when when you're talking to them, you know, they will tell you that with experience, you know, with getting, you know, being exposed to some of these things, sometimes when these things happen, it seems like things are going so fast. If you ever, if you've ever heard, uh, like when they they um, uh, get a football player, you know, fresh out of college, maybe he leaves after his sophomore year, or his junior year, or his senior year. But you know he's great. He go he plays for Oklahoma or Nebraska or Florida. You know he plays for a big program, and then he goes to you know just any NFL team, and they go, oh my God, the game is so fast. And so you know it's the same thing for us. You know the first time we see some of the things, it seems like everything is happening so fast. Uh, again, we can't conquer. We don't know if we're doing the right thing. We don't know if, if you know if we're going to be able to manage this thing. Um, but the more times you train. And the more times you see some of these things, it seems like the game slows down. Now, I'm not talking, you know, not calling uh, a major catastrophe or a major incident in the game, but the situation may seem to slow down. So it gives you time to say, you know, that's why you may see a really experienced uh, uh, fire captain when he pulls up on scene. And, you know, like you say, some, you know, some of those guys in, in Oakland or San Francisco or New York or, you know, even in, in, in like my city here, Plenty of fire caps. They pull up on scene, and, and you just feel calm. This guy knows what the hell he's doing. You know, he. It, I feel better already because it's not in, under control, but it's going to be really, really soon. And so, a lot of times, you know, it seems like the game kind of slows down for you, and you have a little bit of time to work through those options. Those options are ready for you. They're in your head, so you've got this list that you can just kind of work your way down. Says that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's the best option, and let's do that. And then now what I need you to do is, you know, do this, grab this, do this, and we'll put everything away and we'll go back and, you know, make dinner or whatever. But, um, but then, you know, that obviously comes with experience, you know, managing some of the situations. Again, some of the things that we're talking about are way beyond the pale, you know, way outside of the, the realm of what, uh, you know, what we would ever want to see. Um, but hopefully, you know, some of the stuff that we talked about uh, kind of helps people I don't know, compartmentalize it a little bit and prepare themselves a little bit. Uh, We've got someone in the chat room. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go for it. Actually, no, I was just going to say I really liked the the concept that you mentioned earlier, and it's something that's worked personally for me many times in the past is is kind of talking yourself through and and almost, and actually for me, literally verbalizing the problem, you know, when you are in a situation that that seems overwhelming at the time, just, just talking yourself through you know, this is where we are, this is the scenario we're in, these are the options we have. And, and actually, uh, you know, that kind of logic to me helps to calm things down. And, and I think, as you said, you know, it, it may not be as rapid as it, as it would have been if I'd been uh, trained and familiarized into whatever the situation is, but at least it is a coping mechanism and a way of, of kind of staying calm and doing the right thing. Right. I have right. a... So I, I worked for a very long time. I worked with a really good friend of mine. He's a, a battalion chief now for a, a city battalion chief. And, you know, he, he basically, it's kind of funny because we, we use this classification basically to talk about everybody. But so you could talk about it in, you know, just the people that you live with, the people that you, you know, you deal with on a day-to-day basis, so the people you work with. But he basically classified it as, you know, the people that get it and the people that don't get it. It's my friend Phil. And he would say, you know, that guy gets it, you know, and that guy doesn't get it. You know, he's going to get somebody hurt, you know. Um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to move ourselves from one category to the other, you know. And, and you know, to be honest with ourselves, you know, 
we we're never ever going to feel confident enough to tell everybody that we get it. But what we want to do is we want to want to move ourselves out of that doesn't get it category. Um, you know, makes our makes ourselves uh, useful. Um, make sure that we use common sense. You know, like I said, sometimes it seems like common sense is in very very short supply. You know, all you got to do is drive down eighty. Uh, I, I will tell you that you know it, it, it's almost like it evaporates once you get on that on ramp. It's, you know, <laughs> it's co- common sense is nowhere to be found. But you know, right. like I said, so sometimes you know we have to understand. You know, we are not making ourselves you know anything more than you know than people that want to help you know ourselves and our family and our friends. And you know, like I said, there's always this ever expanding circle around us. You know, we we hope that our aura you know encompasses you know as wide as we can reach. But, you know, we obviously definitely, you know, when you start at that little bullseye area, we want to make sure that, you know, we can do the best we can for those people that are in our bullseye. And then, you know, like, uh, just like you said, you know, there's that little circle of trust. My circle of trust is actually very, 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 very big. And I hope that everybody is this. But, you know, make sure we can take care of those people in the middle there. And, you know, then and then we can go ahead and take care of everybody else uh, in that ever-expanding circle. Right. Right. Um, we have a, a comment in the chat room from Geek Pal Radio, which is listening right now, uh, and it, they're saying training is like practice, and I wish I'd practiced more when a girl in my office choked on her food at work. I was able to help, but I still delayed for just a moment because I wasn't uh, because I was unsure that I knew exactly what to do. So thankfully, they helped. It worked, but I, I can right. understand the hesitation. You know, and and that is. You know, and that's the one thing that, you know, uh, I can really, really, really appreciate. You know, they seem to have a good grasp on, you know, what their part in that was. You know, they didn't feel like, you know, uh, you know, everybody, you know, you know, it's all like that thing where they put their hands on their hips and say, stand back, citizens, you know, I'm, I'm here to do good or whatever. <laughs> you know, all they want to do, you know, and they may not feel like they, they have a full, complete handle on this, but my God, they want to help, you know, so they will do something and sometimes they think you know, it didn't it didn't have this thing where you know that all the firefighters gathered around and go oh my god you saved this life it may not have that same type of, of results but you know the fact that you know it was successful tells me you know the fact that they did something to me is is you know it it, it may be well well after the fact but you know it, it it's worth a bravo you know that is what we hope everybody does do something you know and you know, in all honesty, it doesn't always have a happy ending. You know, we no. talk about, you know, what what it's like to do CPR on somebody. And, you know, if a person hasn't actually put their hand on a real person's chest and felt those bones and those, that cartilage crack away and hear it and feel it, and it's, it's one of the most disgusting things ever. And like I said, you know, I had done it many, many times. I hated it. You know, it would be like one of those things, hey, you, start compressions. And I'm like, oh, man, I hate that part. You don't get the mm. truth. You start doing compressions. But then when you do that, you're going, oh, my God, feels like I am absolutely killing this lady. You know, and I said that sometimes, you know, that, you know, somebody might come back to me and say, you didn't tell me that's that's what was going to happen, that I was going to feel like I was killing this person. I said, well, what did they say? Well, they said they felt like an elephant sat on my chest or whatever. And I, and then you don't say anything. Because what is the alternative? They did nothing, and that person said nothing. You know, so complaining about the pain in the chest is a very, very, very good thing. So the same thing like you said, you know, I don't know if if, if what I did was the, the, the best thing or was entirely successful, you know, 
we still, we do it, and we hope for the best result. I have to tell you, they just, while you were talking, they wrote, yeah, because everyone else froze while that was happening. So I'm glad there was one person in the room that didn't freeze. You know, and I'll tell you, I, I, I truly believe that almost everybody in a situation like that, if, you know, if I didn't have uh, a full fire crew with me or an ambulance crew or, you know, somebody like that around me, it's almost like people will, will pause for a second and look around because they're hoping. They're hoping that, you know, and, and let me tell you something. This is just probably going to offend some people, and and I will tell you this. I would rather have a nurse show up than a doctor. But what they're, but what they're hoping <laughs> is that some some uh, some young lady comes running up and goes, I'm a, I'm a nurse. You know, I will take care of this. And you get to wipe your brow and say, thank God. <laughs> I don't have to do right. anything. I can help her. I'll go call 911. I'll go look for an AED. Thank God I don't have to do it. She's going to do it. She's going to save that person's life. That's what, you know, people's natural instinct is going to be. No matter how prepared they think they are, they're hoping that someone better prepared than them shows up. What happens? That person doesn't show up. Guess what? Tag, you're in. Right. Uh, you know, and speaking of people who are trained, I, I've got another message. I'm getting all these texts. This next message is a really good question. It says, um, how has someone who has been through CERT training, how can they move up the ranks to help teach or be more involved? And I think you're just the person to answer that. Yeah, so um, it was. it's kind of funny because where I started when I was doing CERT, um, we were actually the public safety people from the city, and that's good. Because we had people that, you know, we had a, a police officer, a couple of police officers that were very, very experienced. So when they were talking about the, the disaster psychology and the terrorism part, I mean, they were speaking from very, very lofty, you know, uh, positions of experience and knowledge. Uh, and that was a good thing. Um, but going back to, you know, what we had talked about earlier with that passion, you know, sometimes you get these CERT people and they speak the same language as the other CERT volunteers. And so you get these guys that they're, you know, they 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 wear this on their sleeve. They believe in it, and sometimes they are the very very best instructors, because you know these people look at them and they say, well, you know, heck, that you know, it was just like when they said about the Steph Curry winning the MVP. You know, people were saying, you know, what he did was fantastic, but man, he looks kind of just like us. You know, kind of a, a skinny little short guy. You know, what he does is awesome, but they can relate a little bit more to that than they could to somebody, you know, like, say, you know, LeBron James or, or Dwight Howard, for that matter. Um, right. And the same thing goes for that. So when you have these volunteers that look like them, talk like them, you know, as long as they, you know, they know the material, they're very passionate about it, and they're able to instruct, you know, with credibility you know, and, and, and deliver a quality, uh, um, uh, you know, program, they're, you know, most of the programs that you'll find will have a volunteer component to them. And so, so a lot of times what you do is all you do is you contact that CERT program. You say, you know what, I'd like to be, uh, you know, a more active volunteer. And I'll guarantee you, you know, it's going to get you some phone calls because they're always looking for volunteers. They're looking for volunteers to help publicize the program. And, you know, and then if you take a really a, a big interest in some of these units and say, you know, I really want to know more about that, you become somewhat of an expert. And, you know, it can be the, the, that situation where, you know, if you can speak with, with credibility, you know this, you know this material that they'll use you even as an instructor. So I have, uh, when I was at um, the National Fire Academy in, in Emmitsburg, Maryland, almost half the people in this class is like 65 people 
were CERT volunteers. So they were there to learn how to teach the class. Um, and that is, uh, that is always a viable option because not only you don't have to go back to Maryland, uh, sometimes they have train-to-trainer courses and, and opportunities, you know, really close by. So that is definitely available for those people. Fantastic. Are, so I I know I, people want to know about that. That's great. I think we're, I, I can't believe we talked for so long. Why, you know, I couldn't get a, a word in edgewise with you guys, but... Uh, that's what I do. It's what, you know, I, I like to talk. What can I say? So <laughs> you're lucky I let you speak. <laughs> on and on and on. Uh, you right. Know, and one of the things, so one of the things that that, that, that one of my friends told me, he said, hey, uh, you know, time management is critical. <laughs> you know, you, you always, you know, and, and like they said in uh, 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 Blazing Saddles, you know, you just always leave them, you know, wanting a little bit more. Um, but, you know, this thing, again, these are some, you know, the, the CERT program, it's, uh, it, it goes on for, you know, five weeks. It, it is, they cram it full of information. Nobody ever gets out early, but I guarantee you that every class, you know, they go from, from, the, from the, when the, when the needle drops to the moment they say, well, you know, we better call it a night. You know, it is chock full of good information that you can use. You know, the CERT program, it originally uh, came out of the L.A. CERT program, and they've massaged it, and what you do is typically the cities will take it and they'll tailor it to their specific, uh, uh, you know, concerns, uh, some of their target hazards, and um, to very, very pertinent and appropriate for your area. So check it out. Absolutely. And speaking of wanting more, uh, we're going to have to schedule you another time. Uh, we have someone in the chat room who wants to know about women firefighters. So we may have to have a whole other show talking about <laughs> firefighters. <laughs> And uh, so, and, the female and, version. and just and just quickly, you know, just to make sure that to, you know I'm not brushing you off, I actually know some fabulous, just absolutely incredible uh, female firefighters. You know, you, you say, well, they, can they just do the job as good as you know the guys can? You know, in a lot of cases, they could do it better. So I I, I have some yeah. really good friends. I have some really good friends, and and they're they're absolutely awesome. Uh, I would I would go through a door with them or onto a roof with them any day. Wow. Onto a roof and onto a door. You know, I get scared of doing that when a building isn't on fire. So, you know, I, I want to take like one minute to say, and and like I said, I've known Grant since we were in high school together. Um, and I won't even bring up the uh, the uh, fact that you play bass like a crazy <laughs> I just did, didn't I? Oops. I mean, honestly, this guy is, is one of the best bass players, and I've been surrounded by musicians all my life. Uh, we played in a band for our class reunion just a couple of years ago, didn't we, Grant? That was that's insane. it. Yep. Yeah, it was a fun. Lot of and, uh, but I wanted I want to say thank you um, for the service uh, because I don't get to speak to uh, many firefighters um, at all. And I, hey, I want you to know though that I did bring cookies over to the ones who live down the street from me. So just to that's tell them thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I on behalf of everybody else I want to thank you. Uh and Spectre, I know you've got a few more things to say, so I'll I'll clam up a minute or two more. Oh man. So you know, I, I must admit I've been sat here just absorbing this information and like Rug said, we we've done emergency prep shows several times in the past and you know, and had some, some pretty informed guests on that but uh the information you've given us tonight, A, there's a, a lot of new stuff that we didn't cover before, and, and it's it's excellent. So, you know, I, I would encourage people to come back and, and listen into the archives because, you know, I, I'm going to. 
and uh, I'm going to bring a notepad and start writing stuff down. But uh, you know, one one thing I was going to say though is, uh, you know, but there are some very very um, motivated, awesome people in the real life superhero community. Um, there are also some very young, uh, very interesting people who, uh, you know, we, we've nicknamed them jokingly Ninja Lanties. You know, they're, they're desperate to be Batman hiding on a roof waiting to swoop down silver mugging or a, an assault or something. And, and, you know, life doesn't work that way, and, and it's pretty good that it doesn't. Um, but you know what? If you want to really help people, then I, I think cert is the way to go. You know, you're a member of... Uh, a train team. You're a member of a, uh, you know, almost almost a secret team who have got, uh, you know, uh, different ways to call on each other. It's it's almost your Avengers card that you get uh, you get lit up when there's something going on in your local area. And you know what what's cooler than going in, and say, you know, potentially saving someone's life? I mean, that that to me is really being a superhero. It may not be Batman, but it might be a little closer to Captain America, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and your dog agrees, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. They're, they're actually waiting for me to to get off this uh, the show here and take them for a walk. So, on that Aww. note, thank you very much for uh, for having me with you guys and with all your friends out there. Um, and, and it's been great. Anytime, uh, it, it, you know, uh, I'll talk about any of this other stuff. As you know, sometimes it's hard to get me to shut up, but uh, you know, put a beer no. in my hand and you know. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, no, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Go walk the dogs. And, and we got another uh, thank you from the people on, oh, my gosh, people are texting me right now. Thank you for all that great knowledge and for the information. So just uh, go walk your dogs. And I want to thank um, everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, we've got people who are online listening. And I want to thank my uh, board operator, Nightbug, and my awesome co-host, um, Listen to the show again. It's worth getting every every second of it. Really is. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Grant. That was uh, really, really excellent. All right. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Have a good one. Um, and Spectre, for you, I what you said about the RLSH going out and uh, getting cert certified, you're absolutely right. It's almost like being Batman because I'll be damned if they don't get, send us a text. Or call us on the hotline, no kidding, every time there's something going down in our area. So if you really want to be a hero, get certified with cert training. It's Find it in your area. If there isn't any in your area, go out of your area and take it. Um, with that, I think that it's time for us to be saying goodnight. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, you guys stay safe. We'll have another awesome show for you next week. Cool. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Woo! Good night. Be your own hero. Any man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.